Welcome to the Independent Advisors Podcast, where we dive into the world of stocks, tradable markets, and financial planning with Jessup Wealth Management's Chief Investment Officer, Mark McEvely, and CEO, Matt Jessup. You'll hear tips, tricks, and strategies to address your financial well-being, and most importantly, conveyed in a way that everyone can understand. Here are your hosts, Mark and Matt. Hey everyone, welcome to episode number 159 of the Independent Advisors Podcast, where Matt Jessup and I, Mark McEvely, bring you everything you need to know from the past week in the world of financial markets and financial planning. So common theme, uh, Matt is traveling out of the office for work this week. So I have Nick Whitaker back on with us, our Director of Research and Trading. So welcome back, Nick. Good to be here. Coming off, coming off the bench again. Yeah, coming off the bench. So uh, good to have you back as always. Uh, so let's just hop right into it, I guess. Uh, before we begin, just want to take the first few minutes to uh, recap the performance of the month and the year of the major indexes that we track. And these numbers are as of the market close on July 20th. And this data is from YCharts. S&P 500 index up 4.6% for the month of July and down 16.9% for the year. The Dow up 3.6% for the month and down 12.3% for the year. NASDAQ composite index up 7.9% for the month and down 24% for the year. The Russell 2000 index is up 7.2% for the month and down 18.4% for the year. And the Vanguard uh, All World X US ETF down 0.2% for the month and down 18.7% for the year. So, kind of an interesting turn of events here, Nick, at least uh, so far through the month of July. Uh, strength in the US markets um, on a relative basis, international continues to outperform. Uh, but as, as always, we still have a few more tradings here and uh, trading days here in July that these mm-hmm. monthly gains could be quickly reversed. Uh, and it wouldn't be shocking since we're right in the middle of earnings season right now. And I think next week is going to be the big, uh, the big week for most of the major tech companies that are reporting. Yeah. So yeah, um, but we'll see. Guys. I think I think earnings have been better than people have anticipated so far. Um, so we'll see how that continues to roll out throughout the next several weeks. Uh, the three-month treasury rate is sitting at 2.51%, the two-year treasury sitting at 3.25%, and the 10-year treasury at 3.04%. So uh, if people missed our podcast last week, we talked a lot about uh, the yield curve and the yield curve inverting. So the two-year treasury is still... Um, you know, having a higher yield right now than the 10 year. Uh, so that is still an inversion right now. Yep. Um, so moving on to big headlines and current events from the week, Nick, you want to kick us off there? Yeah, I just have a couple here, just a, an update on a few um, major headlines. And, and the first thing is, a, is an article and a, an economic data point. Um, picked this up on Bloomberg yesterday, actually. It was US existing home sales dropped to a uh, dropped a fifth month to a two-year low. Uh, so contract closings fell 5.4% in June, uh, more than forecasted. Uh, the median selling price rose to a fresh record of, of uh, 416,000. Um, 
And then I've got uh, two little quotes here for you from the article. Sales of previously owned U.S. homes fell in June to a two-year low as a surge in borrowing costs continued to erode affordability. Mortgage rates are near their, the highest since 2008, have curbed buyer demand and pushed some buyers to back out of deals. As inventory starts to grow, some sellers are now cutting prices. So uh, it's, a, it's a sign that we're, we're we're kind of finally there in the housing right, market. Yeah. It's it's uh, starting to to uh, to slow down a little bit. You know, uh, the the demand and supply dynamics are finally kind of getting there. So, um, you have any any comments on that? Yeah, well, I think it's just you know that's one of the things that I think a lot of people look to when the economy starts to to slow down is you know you really see that in housing. So that's one of the big tells is when you know. Uh, new home sales dry up, uh, existing home sales dry up that, you know, we're kind of contracting in the economy, people are pulling back a little bit. So, you know, this time just might feel a little more uh, awkward, because we went from just way on one side of the pendulum to now I think we're going to way on the other side. Um, And it was quick, right? This didn't happen like in a a slow pace, right? So we went from, you know, people buying houses like crazy and you were battling with 25, 30 different people on offers from houses. And now it's kind of- Now we're having price cuts. Right. So we were, you know, we were at this side of the pendulum where the sellers had complete control, but that's starting to swing back the other way when buyers, I think, could come in a little lower because there's not as much competition and borrowing costs are, are higher. So yeah. it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. Again, I'm still in the camp that it's not going to be a housing price collapse, but I do think over the next several months and over the next year or two, you're going to see housing prices come in substantially. Yeah. So that's going to provide you know an opportunity for people to, you know, get back and, and buy houses on, on the cheap, I think, eventually. Uh, obviously, prices are still severely elevated from where they were just three years ago. But I think, like I said, that pendulum is finally getting back to the middle. And then it's going to start to favor the buyers, I think, over the next couple of years. So yeah. if you're looking to buy a house, the next couple of years could be pretty important for you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, a couple more just quick headlines that I picked up. Um, the European Commission is proposing a plan that calls on 27 EU nations to cut their gas consumption by 15% between August 15th and March 31st of next year. Um, there's a lot of a, a lot of headlines going on in, in Europe right now and, and headlines with with Russia and and um, and them potentially cutting off the gas and you know no one trusts Putin and will he turn it back on and if so you know what's what's going to go on there but um you know the the, the European Commission coming out and, and you know, proposing that I think is uh just a sign of of how serious it is over there I mean they're worried about energy blackouts and when you're cutting energy consumptions uh uh you got to think about the, the tertiary effect that that has on businesses and, you know, businesses will have to shut, shut down and factories can have to shut down for, for certain amounts of time and, and things of that nature. So. Yeah. And that's, and I don't think a lot of people understand that like rolling blackouts in some areas of Europe and some areas overseas is, is pretty common in a normal environment. So I know like places, you know, in like Lebanon, 
they do rolling blackouts and it's like every every day like a couple times a day the the power will go out for a little bit 20 minutes 30 minutes here and there and it's just normal to them but you know we've never had that here in the u.s at least for people that are alive right now so people don't know what that's like and obviously everything going on with russia and ukraine is putting more strain on that and people are worried that they're not going to be without power for a significant amount of time but I actually just read something this morning that uh, Putin, at least for the time being, is not cutting off their energy supply to Europe, uh, even amid the sanctions that have been put on them. So at least in the short to intermediate term, it looks like that's not going to be a major issue right now, but it's something to watch because that's going to be uh, a huge issue for some, some parts of Europe if, if he takes that further and says, hey, we're not going to supply you guys with anything anymore. Yeah, I think it's like like Russia supplies 40% of Europe's natural gas. Is right. that right? Some, something around the 40% range. Yeah. Uh, the next uh, quick little headline is, again, on Russia. Russia's reportedly looking to annex more Ukra- uh, Ukrainian territory beyond Lefoskin and Donanchek regions. Sorry for butchering those names. Ukraine. Um, but the two regions that, that, have, uh, that were kind of the start of the, the war, uh, they're looking to annex more territory around that. And then the last uh, highlight that I have is uh, the the United Kingdom saw a 40-year high inflation rate in June, just 9.4% year over year, that has sparked calls for a more aggressive rate hike by the Bank of England at its next meeting. So a lot of the stuff that's going on in, in the U.S. is also going on elsewhere. Um, so just an update on the international side for our listeners. Yeah, yeah, and it's not. It's inflation is not just contained in the U.S. right now. It's pretty yeah, much not, everywhere. So. Not, not at all. So, um, um, moving on to tweets and articles and research. Yeah, so I got some stuff that uh, I think is more on a positive note than what we just kind of talked about. So the first thing I had was uh, a tweet from Jay Capel on July twelfth, and uh, he's also known as the sentiment trader. On, on Twitter. So he says overall corporate insider buy sell ratio continues to soar. Are they seeing better than expected earnings ahead or should they be seeing a psychiatrist? Yeah. So uh, we'll have Jenna throw this up on, on the video for people here. Um, and it's just a chart of the corporate insider buy sell ratio. So when we're talking about corporate insiders, we're talking about board of directors, people that are privy to inside information. And it shows this chart of the S&P 500, and it shows the different levels of corporate insiders uh, buying stock, right? So, you know, it's just the, the thinking that, hey, these people know a lot more than the general public knows. And if they're aggressively buying stock right now, are we getting closer and closer to the end of this bear market? And if you look on the chart, Nick, you know, they're, they're buying stock at levels not seen since, you know, the literally the low in March of 2020, right? Mm-hmm. So they almost, you know, time ticked that perfectly, uh, you know, in terms of calling the low. And we had obviously rip-roaring markets for the next couple of years. Um, and it was the same thing back in, uh, in 2016. The last time we had that sell-off, uh, the mild sell-off from 2015 to 2016 with everything that was going on in China, um, corporate insiders were, were stepping up and buying stock. And the other thing to note is uh, corporate insider buying was at an all-time low 
right around the end of 2021. So in the November, December time period, corporate insiders virtually were buying almost zero stock. Yeah. So it just goes to show you, and that was really right around the top of the market, right? So it just goes mm-hmm. to show you that these people do know a lot. And this is one of the things that, that we track uh, from month to month, and obviously that Jay does too. Um, but I think it's another feather in the bull's cap that we're getting closer to the end of this. And insiders only buy for one reason, right? They're buying because they think stocks are going to go up. Yeah. They can sell for a multitude of reasons, right? They have tax consequences. Yeah, they, they need to. They, they need to, to diversify. Out, they need yeah. to diversify. They want to buy a vacation home. They want to do whatever with it. But you know, there's only one reason why you know they buy stock, and that's because they're optimistic going forward over the next several years. So, uh, just wanted to throw that out there uh, as another uh, piece of information that we're tracking that um, I think is going to line up with this next piece that I have from Jeff Hirsch which was on July 6th. So Jeff does a lot of research on strong and weak spots for presidential cycles. So we've talked pretty heavily, especially this year about his research in the past because midterm years tend to be the weakest year out of the four year presidential cycle. So in his most recent blog post, he said that the second and third quarter of the midterm year, which we're right in the middle of right now, has been the weakest period of the entire four-year presidential cycle, averaging losses over the two-quarter period of down more than 1% for the Dow, 1.5% for the S&P, and down 5% for the NASDAQ. But in the sweet spot of the four-year cycle, which is the three-quarter span from the midterm year Q4 to pre-election year Q2, the Dow gains a little more than 19%, S&P is up 20%, and the NASDAQ up almost 30%. So the important thing that I wanted to just note here, Nick, is you know we're starting, we're going to be embarking on the strongest period for the markets and the election cycle from Q4 of this year in 2022 through Q2 of 2023. So, um, you know, I just think that a lot of this stuff is just lining up almost perfectly to where we get to the, the midterms, markets bottom anywhere between August and October, and we see a really strong finish to end, to end the year and a really strong start to the year in 2023. And again, this could all get blown up if we have another like macro event that would just bring everything down, right? Yep. So something similar to COVID or another, another war. Another or... black swan event, so to speak. Yeah, but I just yeah. think, you know, things are, are looking up and up and all the data that, you know, we're looking at is pointing to we're getting closer to the end of this, of this bear market. So I would just encourage people to hang in there. Again, you know, this stuff could always change and this could be mean absolutely nothing by the time we get to the end of the year. But in my opinion, from the data that I'm reading, I think, you know, the worst of it is behind us. And I just don't want people to be more scared of what's to come, especially if you have a three to five year time horizon. So um, interesting yeah. research there from Jeff. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, the last thing I had was just kind of a fun one, Nick. So I went back to a article that we talked about uh, on the podcast back in like April or May, I think it was. And it was an article in the Wall Street Journal uh, that was published on April 26th titled Fidelity to Allow Retirement Savers to Put Bitcoin in Their 401k Accounts 
and it says investments giant investment giants move could send cryptocurrency investing further into mainstream if employers decide to offer this option. And Jenna will throw this chart up there for you, but it's just a chart from stockcharts.com. Uh, the performance of Bitcoin from the day this article came out until now. So this was actually, this was just a couple of days ago, this chart, so it's a little outdated. But since that article came out, Bitcoin uh, is down almost 50% since then. So it's that's just like, it, and that's how it we goes. Always, we always <laughs> talk about like things getting into the mainstream. And we went through this with like the, the pot and weed stocks, right? So once oh, it yeah, mainstream yeah. and everyone was, was like crazy over it. Very after overdone all the gains have been made and everyone was talking about it and saying, hey, should I buy it? You know, canopy growth company or like all these other you know pot stocks that were going through the roof by that time it was pretty much all, already too late right yeah so yeah the valuations thought, got out of control in that yeah. in that and, and this trade. is just another scenario where i think it got you know way too mainstream and you know all of the quote-unquote edge out of cryptocurrency trading kind of deflated a little bit and you know we saw cryptocurrency prices fall 50 percent and some even more um, so it's just a reminder that, you know, this stuff can go up and down just like the stock market does. And, you know, they trade more like tech stocks than anything else, in my opinion. And I'm not advocating for or against Bitcoin. I think eventually it could have a place in our economy within the next several years. But um, you just got to be careful with this stuff because this stuff trades 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And this stuff can happen. So um, yeah, your your cryptocurrencies are are on the high highest risk risk spectrum of your investment portfolio. And you, you so with that, you have to be prepared for a fifty percent drop over a three month period. And you definitely haven't heard as much from the you know pro cryptocurrency crowd in the last several months as you know these things have gotten absolutely waxed yeah so, as, the, as um, the hedge funds are blowing up and all that and, yeah. yeah so i just thought it was it was interesting that it's kind of like it goes back to like the um you know the magazine cover scenario that we talk about it's like something comes out on the front of uh, barons and it's like inflation at all-time highs usually it's like okay inflation's peaked and rolled over they're just too late to the party same thing right. with supply chain issues they that they had the supply chain issue in there i think in the fall of of 2021 and that was like the tail end of most yeah. of the supply issues and yeah. the backlogs at the ports with everything with shipping containers and that type of thing and now it's like hey the wall street journal came out with this article talking about bitcoin being allowed in 401ks and Ever since that came out, it's got cut in half. So it's funny so how that's interesting to, yeah, to share. Funny with how if you're reading about out. something like this in in the Wall Street Journal or CNBC, CNN, Fox, any of the mainstream medium outlets, you know, typically you should have your ears perk up and be like, mm, this is getting a little, little stretched and a little too far in the mainstream media. So maybe it's time yeah. for a breather. So and it happens time and time again. It's just human human reaction and behavioral investing, right? Absolutely, absolutely. So let's hear from uh, your boy Jonathan Farrow. Yes, I love I love Jonathan Farrow. He is a uh, an anchor on Bloomberg. Very very sharp guy. Um, this is a tweet from him, and it's it's about the uh, Bank of America Fund Manager Survey and how it is showing extreme bearish sentiment. So Jonathan says the following, 
uh, Bofa Fund Manager Survey, and this is in quotes, I'm so bearish, I'm bullish. <laughs> record low growth expectations, record low profit expectations, equity allocation lowest since 2008, cash levels the highest since 2001. And then there's a little chart here that, that shows the net percentage of the participants who were uh, surveyed uh, and and whether or not they think a, a recession is likely. And it's it's pretty high up there since it's the highest we've seen since April 2020. Um, so right right in the, the peak of COVID there. Um, and this came out on the 19th, so just a couple of days ago. And you know the the quote he has here, I'm so bearish, I'm bullish. That's that's kind of the takeaway of, of the fund manager survey. And, and I've talked about this on, on previous podcasts, but the BOFA fund manager survey, BOFA, again, short for Bank of America, um, it's just a survey that goes out to a lot of different PMs and they survey, I think it's it's, it's over like a trillion dollars of, of assets under management across a lot of different PMs, um, portfolio managers, um, you know, big fund managers, hedge funds, institutional money managers, et cetera. And just to get their their sentiment and their their thoughts on the market. So um, uh, the market looks at this pretty closely. And uh, this actually came up on on one of the news sites that I, I follow pretty closely two days in a row, which is which is kind of shows you how uh, how interesting it is. And I think the biggest takeaway being that equity allocations are so low and cash is so high. And then we saw the the market kind of ride a little bit. I think it was up three almost 4% since this survey came out. And I think it's just that I'm so bearish, I'm bullish. It's, it's just a little bit of that where you, you kind of see where the market sentiment is uh, from some of these big money managers. So, yeah. And again, I think that just adds into what we were talking about earlier is it's like, it's almost setting up for this like perfect storm of really strong equity returns going yeah. forward. Once we kind of finally bottom out here, but I think the next couple of years returns are, are going to be really good. We're going to hopefully get this quote unquote recession out of the way that everyone has been waiting for, for the past several months. And again, the, the, this information in the economy is not going to get better um, for the next several months, but the market knows enough to sniff out when that's going to get better and the market's going to recover before any of the economic yeah. indicators get better. So um, you know, if, ever, if everyone thinks we're going into a, a recession and, you know, we're going to have you know, layoffs and earnings growth is going to start rolling over and profit margins are going to start coming in. If everyone is on that side of it, which it seems like everyone is on that side of it right now, usually tend to use that as a pretty good contrarian indicator that the worst is behind us. So. Absolutely. The market is always forward-looking, yes. Um, the next piece I have is just a quick update on commodities. This is from Bespoke Investment Research. Uh, it's a research report from the 15th, uh, so about a week ago. Um, there's a good chart here. It's on um, commodity sub-indices, so just an, a, a, a pocket of, of a bunch of different commodities that they kind of group together and, and make an indice out of it very similar to the S&P 500, but just with commodities. Um, and there's three different commodities on here. There's uh, or, or commodity sub-indices. There's the Bloomberg Agriculture Sub-Index, uh, the 
uh, energy subindex and precious metals subindex. So you get kind of a broad range of different types of commodities, right? They're all very different types. Um, and then I'm going to read a couple of uh, highlights from the report. Although this week's CPI print came in much hotter than expected, there's evidence to suggest that inflation may start to roll over. Importantly, input prices, commodities, have fallen dramatically in recent weeks. Agricultural commodities are now 20.3% off their peak, while energy and precious metals commodities are 20.4 and 20.8% off their highs, respectively. This comes as spectacular uh, speculators begin to question the demand side of the equation due to recessionary fears. So we've talked a lot about this in recent podcasts about inflation and, you know, is it, uh, and is it peaking? And then we talked a bit about the last print it was in the 9% range, but the core is coming down a little bit. And um, um, I just thought this chart was, was a nice way to look at the commodities market um, and just really kind of show via a chart what we're talking about because you tend to see that demand come back a little bit and, and that's a good sign for inflation well yeah and the only thing that's getting put in front of people's faces are all these like cpi print prints and there's no context to it so people just think things are getting worse and worse and worse but if you dig a little deeper it's actually in my opinion starting to get a lot better it's, so yeah it's coming I do down i think you know their their inflation is going to start to come down here quicker than people think and again that's just i think going to be equity prices going forward so and you made this point last last week about how really the majority of the inflation the cpi print at that nine percent nine point one or something like that um, was driven by by the energy and, and and the food, the more volatile sections of of the basket of goods, uh, right. which is the CPI print. And when you look at this chart, and you made the comment of, you know, you think energy will come down, and then that will kind of bring it down even further. And so this chart is just it's a little bit leading ahead of those CPI prints. So you got to think that those CPI prints are are in hindsight, right? It's economic data, so it's from June. Well, we're in July, right? So. Right. Um, it's just a, a little bit of a preview as to as to kind of what the market sees. You know, you, you look at this pricing, you look at the last CPI print, you hear the BOFA manager's survey is, is so bearish and you see that, you see where valuations are and you think maybe not a bad time to, to, to dip your toe in the water. And now we've seen markets come back over the past 10 days, uh, a, a pretty good response. So it, it yeah, all makes well, sense. Yeah. yeah, and I think, you know, that made me think of this, this one other thing that, you know, I follow, you know, this, this one chart I have in, in my list that I review every week is I kind of just label it like the business cycle and it has stocks, bonds, and commodities on it. And typically when you're looking at economic cycles, stocks tend to peak and roll over first, then bonds, and then commodities, right? So I think we're starting to finally see, you know, commodities roll over. And I think that'd be a good exercise for people to do if they're curious. It's just going back since the market's inception, since we started having historical data to track this stuff, is you'll find a pretty common theme of equities rolling over, then bonds, and then commodities. And then, you know, we hit this bottom in the economic cycle before things start going back up again. So again, I know I'm beating a dead horse, but it just, it all seems too good to be true that we're setting up to getting towards the end of this thing. So that's very interesting to me. Uh, very good point. Um, and the last piece 
I'll be honest. I really love this last piece. I think it's something that is not talked about. I don't about. think you've not had a compound advisors charts or article. Uh, I, I love started. I love these guys. They have great charts. They they do a great job. Um, Charlie Baleo, uh, Baleo, and uh, Compound Advisors. I'm a big fan. So I'm sorry I'm so predictable, listeners. Uh, but it's good stuff. So uh, I, I got another one from from Compound Advisors, and this is from the 18th. And it's a great chart here. And this is something that I don't think you you hear a lot about. I, I I heard it on Bloomberg, but I didn't see any major articles about it. Maybe maybe there was, maybe I missed it. But um, it, it says uh, the research says a, a tale of two sales, nominal versus real, and this is about the the U.S. retail sales data says in nominal terms, U.S. retail sales still appears to be booming, hitting another all-time high in June with an increase of 7.7% over the last year. But after adjusting for inflation, the story changes dramatically. Real retail sales peaked back in April of 2021 and are down 1.2% year over year, which is another interesting um, indicator to me that a lot of a lot of the retail sales data is actually driven by inflation as opposed to actual demand. So if you have right. demand pulling back, if, along with all the other things we've talked about in the podcast to this point, um, you can kind of see how the market has has kind of come forward a little bit. When you look at that, when you look at the market thinking about, okay, a recession is coming, you know, we're a consumer, you guys have mentioned it many times, but a consumer-led economy. And so the real data is, uh, the inflation-adjusted data is, is telling us that it's starting to pull back a little bit. And I think that's a good point to make um, for people too, Nick. So like when Nick says nominal, he's meaning data that's not adjusted for inflation. And then the, the real, quote unquote, real is inflation adjusted. So there's, you know, hundreds, probably thousands of different economic indicators that you can look at based on a nominal basis without inflation or an inflation adjusted uh, basis. So, yeah, this is a really interesting chart um, that, you know, we already saw weakness back in 2021. And again, this is just something that people don't usually see in the headlines. It's just, you know, things are still going to get way worse. U.S. retail sales have not rolled over yet. So we haven't even seen the worst of it. But retail sales on a real basis have been falling for, you know, over a year now, yeah. actually. So, um, so yeah, this is a really good chart from, from Charlie and all the guys over there at Compound that do yeah how research. could i how could i not put this in the podcast you know when i see it i'm like ah i try i try every week i'm like well i'll try to find something different but then they hit me with something good i feel like listeners will like it so yeah well um just a quick market check for people uh again today is july 21st uh markets are pretty flat um after tesla reported last night tesla's up about five and a half percent um defensive sectors well, it's kind of a mix are outperforming. You got healthcare, consumer discretionary, consumer staples and technology all at the top of the board. But going back to talking about commodities, energy is a lagger today, down about three and a half percent so far. So I think, you know, next week, I think could be a pretty volatile week with the amount of earnings reports that are coming out, Nick. So yeah, again, if, if people see more swings in, in their portfolios or their accounts next week, uh, it's pretty normal. 
um, because yeah. we have a, a slew of, of larger companies reporting their earnings uh, for Q2 of this year. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of, so a lot of be, big, big boys next week. Yeah, Apple, Amazon, I think Microsoft. Microsoft, Google, um, yeah. Those names are, are going to be reported. So, yeah. Uh, so it's a little more volatile week. Don't be surprised. Um, but we will uh, be back with you next week for episode 160. Nick, thanks for filling in again today. And I'm sure we'll have you back pretty soon here. Yep. Uh, happy to fill in as always. All right, everybody. Have a safe, healthy, and happy weekend. And we'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to the Independent Advisors podcast. If you're interested in hearing more, hit the subscribe button so you can be notified every time a new episode gets released. Feel free to share with friends, family, and follow us on Twitter at Jessup Wealth, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Mark and Matt will continue to share beneficial information on these social media sites. Also, check out the podcast tab on their website. That's www.jessupwealthmanagement.com. There you'll find links to every episode of the Independent Advisors. Have questions or topics you want to discuss on the show, message us on Twitter, LinkedIn, or send an email with the words questions and topics in the subject line to inquiries at jessupwealthmanagement.com. We'll talk about it right here on the podcast. Certain sections of this commentary may contain forward-looking statements based on reasonable expectations, estimates, projections, and assumptions. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of future performance and involve certain risks and uncertainties, which are difficult to predict. All indices are unmanaged and are not available for direct investment by the public. Past performance is not indicative of future results. This podcast is provided for general informational purposes only and does not constitute either tax, legal, or financial advice. Although we do go to great lengths to make sure our information is accurate and useful, we recommend you consult a tax preparer, professional tax advisor, financial advisor, or lawyer regarding your specific circumstances. Investing involves risk, including the loss of principal. No strategy can guarantee any objective or goal will be achieved. Advisory services offered through Commonwealth Financial Network, a registered investment advisor.